Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2019. I'm Amato, and with me tonight are... Tori. And Dom. But all that changed when the Fire Nation attacked. (laughs) What changed? (laughs) Uh, Our names, apparently. Probably some of us died. Oh, no. So, if the Fire Nation is a fourth external force... What are the elements of the three of us? We all can't claim Earth, right? <laughs> yeah, I was going to say, Dom and I are both Tauruses. Pretty earthy. Pretty earthy. What's Capricorn? Also Capricorn earth. is also oh, an Earth okay. sign. Well, <laughs> Sorry, Amato. That fits with Avatar because it seems like there's way more Earth Nation folks than any other this nation. This is true. Well, and I, earth I cast, always yeah. loved the Earth Nation. But to be fair, I'm a Sag- Sagittarius rising, Scorpio moon, and I have a lot of Gemini, so you could put me anywhere and I'd be happy. More importantly, what martial art do you practice? Mm, that's uh, a better question. Mudokwan, which is similar to Taekwondo. So if you really look, and I've thought about this a lot, the mm-hmm. divisions of the martial arts, I think my style is closest to either the firebending style or the say. earthbending style. Okay. I think it would be a branch of firebending. Yeah, it probably would be because yeah. mostly because of our integration of Hapkido in my style, which is like, you know, guard breaks, etc. And, you know, the fluidity of motion that's present there, whereas earthbending is. Um, and I think explosive kicks would the, be fire. To be honest, yeah, earthbending yeah. is based on a Korean martial arts, so it's, it's debatable. We have several friends and my older sister who all practiced Aikido at some point, and that's mm-hmm. waterbending, right? No, no waterbending is Tai Chi. It's Tai Chi. Wait, waterbending is Tai Chi. Is yeah. it one of them Aikido? No. No? no? Okay. I guess that doesn't um, work for bending, does it? You can't just throw the air or use something's use Earth's actually, momentum against it? I would like to look this up right now because I remember that the bending styles were, some of them were quite obscure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, like, I, I like Toph speci- specifically is Northern Praying Mantis style, mm-hmm. different mm-hmm. than the rest of the other Earthbenders. Yeah, which is great. Yeah. That's why she's so much better. <laughs> That's why it looks so much cooler where they have the arms well, out like a praying mantis. Right. Oh, actually, earthbenders are hunga kung fu, so not Korean. I was wrong. I it's just that, that there's, their um, culture is a very Korean aesthetic, I guess is what I was thinking. Yeah, the culture's all a mix match. Firebenders are northern Shaolin kung fu. Airbenders are... Bagwasong, which I'm probably slaughtering in my brain. No, that's probably exactly how you say it, Tori. <laughs> Bagwasong. Okay, stop. Which stop was like a off. Southeast Asian martial art, I think. Mm-hmm. Like Indonesian so, or something. Well, so it seems like those are all tight. Uh, sorry, all Chinese martial arts. Yep. We yeah. are talking about some very visual and physical things on this podcast. We should probably switch over to words. That's what our stock and trade, right? But we're talking about Avatar The Last Airbender, which is a very visual medium. That's true. Yeah. So we may as well just give up here. Ready to go home? <laughs> Sounds good. No, actually, we are not completely off topic because our fanfic today is an Avatar The Last Airbender fanfic, It, as we announced last time. Can I just have a little minor rant? What's that? I hate you have to say 
Avatar The Last Airbender in order to reference this specific Western animation. We are doing an Avatar, James Cameron's hit blockbuster movie, fan fiction tour. Or we do Last Avatar, that's the Shyamalan race-bending movie. Oh, or we yeah. could do The Last Airbender, the live-action movie based on Avatar, The Last Airbender. Yeah, that, that's the one I was talking about, yeah. That, that's oh, that what, is what you're saying, talking right? about. Yeah. Okay. You know, 10 years ago, I would have said exactly what you said, Don, which is I hate that we have to distinguish, but at this point... I feel like I can't even feel hatred anymore. It's just a, a, a resign- sense of, like, defeated resignation. That hate receptor has been used up. Yep. <laughs> just pretend that we are distinguishing it from Avatar Legend of Korra, and that's why we have to say The Last Airbender each time. Okay? Mm. That doesn't help me. I'm sorry. <laughs> that just reminds me you can say Legend of Korra. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, uh, as I mentioned at the end of last fanfic podcast episode (laughs) thank you for listening to this fanfic podcast episode (laughs) this is the very newest fanfic we've ever done from 2006 i was in college this is barely retro at all but i was still in high school that's true a year off like a year (laughs) yeah Yeah. i was a senior i i was actually happy reading this though because this fanfic was written during and just after the first season of Avatar. And it shows, because it would have been a very different fanfic if it had been written later in the series. It's interesting seeing a snapshot of what people were writing at that time. So why did you pick this new, blindingly new fanfic? It was like like the oldest good Avatar fanfic I could find. (laughs) (laughs) The oldest? Except I thought it was something completely different. I I might be confusing with something else that I was looking at, but I thought until I started reading oh. it that it was going to be Zuko and Iro in Ba Sing Se working at the tea shop. You mean Iroh? Iroh. 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 Zuko and Iroh <laughs> working at the tea shop in Ba Sing Se, and it was going to like split off from there, and that's oh. not in the slightest what it is at all. See, that would be kind of nice. No, this is quite different. I think I assumed that because I figured that's what every Avatar fan actually wants more of. Right. Th- uh. This was actually really <laughs> unexpected. It was an alternate universe kind of retelling of the story. Well, well I, sort of. I just kind of groaned because I um, I didn't catch the first season when it came out. We, mm-hmm. we didn't talk about what the series meant to us. So. Oh, that's true. Let's oh, back yeah, up a bit. Let's, yeah, okay. let's do that. Let's start with me, okay? <laughs> Calm down, everybody. No, I want to start with me. Oh, okay. <laughs> Go ahead, Tom. <laughs> so I didn't catch this first season when it came out. Like As you mentioned, um, Amon and I were both in uh, college at the time, Mm -hmm. and this was an American animation. And at this point in my cartoon-watching career, it was anime or bust. (laughs) (laughs) If it's, like, yeah, I watched some good stuff in my childhood, but, you know, this new stuff, this uh, Teen Titans bullshit. Yeah, it was (laughs) Nickelodeon, too. Yeah, Yeah. it's how I classified it at the time. It seemed like, um, oh, they're doing, like, that weird, cringy, wannabe anime stuff. Mm -hmm. And I was... In college, and there's always that weird period in uh, if you talk to an adult cartoon fan where they were going between like uh, childhood and adulthood, where they just were like too grown up for cartoons, and then later they came back like, oh no, no way, I'm not. (laughs) (laughs) Then come back to it. And so I actually walked by a TV at one point that showed the climax of the episode Zuko Alone, which featured Zuko and an Earthbender with two hammers fighting, Mm -hmm. and I just caught that fight scene. I was like, whoa, yeah. this is fucking great. What is this? <laughs> Avatar, mm, oh, uh, okay, I don't know. But then, like, cut forward a couple years, and I was I dived into it pretty heavily. Mm-hmm. And I became a big fan of this. I think I caught the end of season two airing, maybe. No, I was waiting for season three to come out. And that's where I was. 
And in the meantime, I was kind of a lurker in an Avatar uh, Chan forum thing. Oh, yeah. And so I would lurk with these and read these conversations, and uh, I mainly just focused on finding different fan art. Is that as the most engaged you've been in a fandom? As a fandom, yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that is the most engaged I've been because, like, I've been a fan of some stuff before, but I'd usually be by myself. But this is the one where I was on the internet looking for rumors. When when is when is the release <laughs> date? Um, and I watched this one with my younger sister, and like, we both kind of like the. Um, mysticism, personality, uh, elemental type of discussions. And so I'd be following those sort of discussions online too about uh, different characters and their relationship and what that means. Mm-hmm. And so, yeah, I, I was in the Avatar fandom uh, before season three, all the way through season three, after season three, the desert between <laughs> season <laughs> three and Legend of Korra and through like seasons one and two of Korra, like actively following that fan community. And so that's why I kind of rolled my eyes at the tea shop thing. <laughs> and that's why I was willing to stretch things so far into the near past to do some Avatar, because I knew you would really, really enjoy it. Thank you, Fire Lord Amato. <laughs> <laughs> Fanfic Lord. Fanfic bending. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> my, my martial arts style involves uh, using a keyboard and mouse and so, elegantly. Like, I've seen a lot of the um, tea shop Zuko era stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, gone wrong and overdone. <laughs> I see. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure there must have been a lot of it. Oh, def- and, and that that girl he he talks about oh, yes. the tales of Bossy and say so much of that of of those two. Well, I think it really appealed to people because they saw the softer side of Zuko, and for some reason, people were obsessed with Zuko's character, even though he'd been nothing but a little brat yeah. for like most of it. Better but than Zuko, Draco Malfoy. Zuko was an interesting oh, yeah. character through um, season but, one, also. Draco was just like a straight up a wizard racist. So Zuko was like, yeah, okay, he had some nuance, some complication, but he didn't really become a likable character until the third season, I don't think. When is Zuko so alone? It was very weird. Uh, season two. Season two, yeah. yeah. There's some good moments in season one. There, season yeah. two, you really get Zuko. And yeah. also, I was drawn to this because it was at the end of my personal martial arts career, but it was in the heyday of me being a martial arts otaku. <laughs> <laughs> so I was totally watching shows about about martial arts styles like um did you ever watch fight quest on discovery no it was an amazing show wait what was that about it they had this um mixed martial arts guy like this ex-football player and they would take them to different places around the world to learn different martial arts oh and at the end that sounds great and at the end of the episode they'd have one of them fight a, a practitioner on it and they'd try to win oh you know what i feel like i May have seen that at some point. I did watch a lot of martial arts TV when <laughs> I was training with my old master instructor. We used to get into like a lot of corny martial arts TV. Um, and it's fun, you know? When you study martial arts, it is fun to see that stuff come into practice. And yeah. that's the great thing about Avatar. So I, I think that's what allowed me to become so interested in it at first. When I first watched it, I think it was right after the series had ended airing. I actually watched it on, I don't know, some internet site, <laughs> which is great. Um, and I was like 21 or 22, um, and I loved it. But I thought I was going to love it for the really well-depicted martial arts, like Dom said. Like, when you see those fight scenes done, they're so beautiful. But I ended up loving it for the characters. Yeah. Like, they're so fun, and they're very nuanced, 
And they still retain their childlike aspect. So it's actually one of my favorite series. Mm-hmm. I don't have a cool story. Dom just bugged me to watch Avatar long enough until I was mm-hmm. like, fine. And I watched it and I thought, yes, this is this is very, very good. <laughs> I don't, normally don't bug people too much about <laughs> stuff I like. But if I bug you a while, it's normally something I hold pretty highly. Right. So I've done that with like Avatar and steven universe yeah it's a good track record and i'm sort of minor on it on um uh, gravity falls but i understand people not wanting to get into it but they totally should just watch gravity falls do it (laughs) (laughs) we're not saying that just because we're oregonians no that's just a fun little but like the mystery shack is based off of the oregon vortex Mm -hmm. if you go there there's some like a door there that has a bunch of like thank you notes and some of them are hand-drawn gravity falls fan art (laughs) (laughs) that's funny yeah as for this fanfic, it, again, was 2006. It was written by... Mm, the fanfiction.net account name is AKA Vertigo, but I think the author might just go by Vertigo, and that's just the name of the fanfiction.net account. I can't figure that out. Oh. The fanfic is called Tempest in a Teacup. Right. It was a little confusing at first because we, we all thought it was Tempest in a Teapot. Like is... the actual expression. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. It's Tempest in a Teacup. You can find a link there at bit.ly slash rfrtempest. I think it's more teacup in order to promote the um, iro slash tea pairing. Well, <laughs> OTP. Which is uh, canon, by the way. For the creators confirmed it. <laughs> um, well, also because this fanfic revolves around the teacup itself and not the pot. It's mm. a motif, yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's about the drinking of the tea more than the preparing and the... And there's a lot of uh, imagery around, uh, like, repeated images of a teacup, Mm -hmm. so, which makes sense, yeah. Like you said, preparing, like, drinking of the tea rather than preparing the tea. I to start off, I think this, it's kind of hard for me to classify this as a fanfic, it's more like a, instead more of a collection of vignettes, maybe? Yes, the Mm -hmm. author kind of describes it that way, too. They weren't all written at the same time, either, either. Right. It seems like the author kind of was writing them at various times and developing this alternate continuity. Mm. I mean, yeah. that's still a fanfic, though. I mean, it's yeah, just... Yeah, it's a fanfic. Yeah. Right. Or yeah. I should say, it is fanfiction. It may not be a fanfic. Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, if you classify it as, like, a book or a novel, yeah. Right. A fanfic, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It might be a set of them. Yeah. The basic premise, what it's a divergent timeline... Mm-hmm. And during, after the Fire Nation raid that kills Katara and Sokka's mother, mm-hmm. um, it's it's a little bit unclear what happens at the very beginning, but it seems like Iroh goes and is like going through the village and checking things in after the attack. He was not leading the attack. Yeah, because in this continuity, it's not the Southern Raiders that do these attacks. It's whatever group Iroh was in or part of. Right. And Iroh was not leading the attack himself, apparently, but it seems like he was going through and surveying the damage afterwards. And most of the tribe that Katara and Sokka belong to got apparent... It's early on implied they were killed, but it seems like many were killed, but a lot were just kind of scattered. I don't know. It was kind of vague. It was kind of vague. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But in any case, Iroh finds Katara as a survivor of this attack in the village, and there's no one else around to take care of her, and he kind of brings her back to the Fire Nation ship and tries to tend to her. And that's the first three or four parts of this 20-odd-part fanfic. Mm-hmm. 
And each part's only like a page or two, maybe. It's variable. Some are longer yeah. than others. Some are very short. Once you get towards the end, they all get uh, one or two pages. Mm-hmm. But for the most part, each part is fairly short and kind of standalone thematically, coming to some sort of conclusion. It's not, not quite like chapters in a book. Mm-hmm. Um, Iroh's being assisted in this initial part of the story by a doctor who's on board named Shuang. Which is an original character, I believe. I think so, yeah. Mm-hmm. And the only other relevant thing is that Zhao, uh, who is at this point captain, maybe, yeah. was the one leading the attack. Like, Katara saw him murder tribe members. Right. And mm-hmm. that's kind of a thing. Katara is quite naturally pretty traumatized. Yeah. Yeah. Now, can I just say, though, right off the bat, what struck me in this is that the writing is very poetic mm-hmm. and elegant. Um, in a very passive voice, too. Yeah. I feel like of all the fan fiction we've read... Um, I think we should definitely give props to this writer for having a very, like, concise prose voice, but still having a really poetic element to their writing. It's like their word choice is very elegant. It's interesting because they're able to write in a couple of different modes. Sometimes they are very kind of um, unadorned and Mm -hmm. direct. And other times they're way in on the poetic language. Yeah. Right. And I, I have a passage that I want to read as a demonstration of that, but it's kind of from later in the fanfic. Is it okay to jump ahead? Um, do we want to talk about the continuity of it, what little there is, really? Uh, well, I was originally planning to kind of walk through okay. the basic events. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm fine with us jumping ahead for a passage. I think... There are passages we get plucked from all over here. That yeah, that's true. Let, let's just have a little uh, display of the type of prose we're talking about. Do you see something, Tori? Um, yeah, I mean, like, just in... It occurred to me within the first couple paragraphs mm-hmm. here that the writing was very poetic and elegant, and what I was going to say is that I kind of envied it because when I used to try to write prose in high school, I would just devolve into this, like, truly abstract poetic language that no one could understand, but this author does tie it together. And you identified how they did a motto. But um, one of the first things I identified here is um, a Katara is... We don't know this is Katara. Okay, maybe I shouldn't say that. It's yet. Katara. It's fine. Okay. It's Katara. <laughs> All right. So a girl's brought on board the... Like, not on board, sorry. There's no ship yet. Uh, this no, is a ship. There's a ship. Yeah, that's right. Ship, yeah. Uh, Katara's brought on board a ship, and she opens her eyes, and... Um, there's Iroh's, in Iroh's brain, he's thinking, you know, is the eyes that he notices first? How could anyone, especially a Fire Nation, anyone ignore them? They are a curious combination of pale and dark, luminescent, luminescent in a way that has nothing to do with the room's firelight. They are blue. Blue like deep water or late hour skies, blue like a sweep of diluted ink on paper or a wave under the noon sun. Blue like only the eyes of Water Tribe Native can be. Because, of course, that is what she is. Squirrel hunched on Iroh's bed. Even in the dark, the bandage around her head is a gleaming contrast to her dark skin, a massive light, lightless hair pouring out from it in heavy tangle. The rest of her is lost among the thick blankets and the too big robe wrapped around her. And it goes on. Yeah. It's just kind of very elegant, the description. Mm-hmm. I just find out I highlighted a portion a little bit later 
that I'm a fan of. Read it for us. Um, <clears throat> this is the same thing that Katara is not eating or drinking, and he offers her tea. Um, he offers her the cup. In life, there are moments holding more substance than others. To protect them is hard. To measure them upon occurrence is impossible. They are gifts, or curses, or disasters, whose worth only time will tell. Within their invisible walls are words disconnected from the ordinary patterns of a person's life, intimate domains where every move is significant and holy. To taste such a moment is to understand the power of transformation. They are moments of change. It's very nice writing. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, initially, Katara doesn't eat, but Ira manages to coax her into that. Initially, she doesn't talk, but the climax of the first chapter is her like being willing to speak to Iroh. And obviously things are awkward because for many reasons, including the fact that he is a high up in the military that just attacked her home. But he takes her back home to the Fire Nation capital. Do we get a name for that city in this story? I'm not sure we do. I don't think there is a name for it. I feel like the author was oh. avoiding little details of continuity like that that oh, they didn't de- have yet. Definitely not a name in season one. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so the capital. I, right. And so I feel like the author was avoiding giving it a name because I'm, they didn't have one. They attack it in book three. I'm not even sure they named it. I think they just mm-hmm. called it the Fire Nation capital mm-hmm. and the palace and such. Huh. It still isn't. Yeah, you may be right. Well, <clears throat> the fanfic passes by a lot of time very quickly. The second chapter is called Cycles, and it goes through summer and autumn and winter and spring for of like her first year in the Fire Nation. And it's kind of showing the one of the trends of the writing here, mm-hmm. which is kind of a trend that's common in um I want to say Asian um, poetry, which is mentioning something about nature, the seasons, um, mm-hmm. something in nature, a tree, and then commenting on what happens, and then tying that to a to life and how that's interpreted. Like tying it to the season itself. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so Katara eventually, she's kind of sticking with Iroh and his house, it seems like at this point, but she gets a little more comfortable. She starts, uh, he gives her tutors, um, you know, halfway through the year or so, and she starts learning a lot of things. Um, How is she being characterized here? Here's a here's a good passage for um, how kind of how Katara is in this story. This is from spring of that year. Hmm. Katara's latest hobby is the acquisition and emulation of court speech. She juggles euphemisms and symbols, courtesy and wit, procedure and frivolity, and treats a century of standards like tiles in a game. Iroh can't decide whether to be impressed by the girl's dexterity or worried over the score and threading its glibness. Ultimately, he offers careful warnings, but forbids nothing. Already, it's becoming clear that his little fish cannot stay a secret. Over the course of the year, people have noticed the dragon's odd companion, and curiosity has bloomed. Though there are few that know her face, there are many who know her name. Does Katara know this? Yes. Does it worry her? Time will tell. And so she's absorbing a second culture very consciously, but very much as an outsider, both inwardly mentally and because she stands out like a sore thumb. Yeah, this was interesting too because I felt like Katara's characterization um, kind of starting here deviated a lot from the characterization of her in the source material. I agree. Like, she becomes playful and mischievous mm-hmm. and just kind of like thwarting, like 
authority a lot, which makes sense yeah. be, considering her circumstance. But in the source material, she's very much more like a maternal figure to everyone and like kind of following the rules, etc. So it was very interesting to see this, yeah. this deviation. I can understand the deviation because in the source material, she was maternal because she was with her tribe and having mm-hmm. to take care of Correct. her brothers yeah. and the other people in the tribe. And this, she is alone, pretty much. Well, yeah. she's got Iroh, but yeah. Yeah, uh, but she definitely becomes maybe? a different sort of person. And she definitely yeah. doesn't, she's completely unmoored culturally. She has no role in the culture at all. Exactly. There's, there's a mention at some point where she tries to remember how the hair is supposed to go and tries to do it herself and can't do it, so just puts it in a Fire Nation style. Right. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very sad. So, but it was very interesting because it was hard to read sometimes this character as Katara considering the, the deviance, but mm-hmm. it also made sense, like you also said. Yeah, I think they handled it well. It's very divergent, but it's also not... It doesn't feel terribly wrong either. No, like it, it, it feels It feels it fairly sense. justified. And so at the end of that, um, Iroh seeing like the spark of you know passion or energy in her kind of makes him think of his nephew who he has not introduced her to, and he decides to introduce her to Zuko. Uh, this is Zuko, young, fairly young, younger than the series, of course, because Katara was seven. He's like a year older, two years he's older. two years older yeah. than her. At this point, she's eight. He's like 10. Yeah. And we've mentioned this uh, fanfic was written before uh, season two came out, which means yeah. that the author had no idea about um, uh, Zuko's actual sib- uh, canon siblings, uh, Azula. So in this, Zuko is an only child. If That's Azula really, was in this fanfic, no. oh, I'd, it would have gone very differently. Yeah. No. And probably with more murder. Hold on. Doesn't Iroh Iro specifically mention that he has a nephew and a niece? The in this author has a nephew, I think. The author might I have mentioned changing a little something after season two started. Anyway. That might have been it. I think that might have been the thing. Because there's anyway. no, no other... I understand what you meant, and I might have read that phrase, but there's no other hint in the rest of the fanfic whatsoever. Effectively, yeah, no, there's child, nothing. Right? Like, we don't know Azula yet. So, anyway. We were looking at the fanfiction.net thing, and it was posted um, when season one ended, but there was one edit that would have happened oh. halfway between season two airing. Yeah. I they see, mentioned I that see. at some point. Oh, so that was their edit is to say there was nephew and a That's our theory, Not to yeah. mention that Iroh had ever had his own child. Right. Which they is completely not mentioned at all. Lucas. Well, they weren't that far. That details I think they Bossing yes. Say is like much later in the season, right? It's mentioned uh, before yes. Bossing Say. Oh, is so it? That, so that was the interesting part. Is there is like, you, just to be specific, there's a passage where there's something that Iroh says is that he knows much of raising children because he has a nephew and a niece. Mm. Yeah. But it doesn't mention the fact that Iroh had his own child. So we can assume the author didn't know that. And also that the author you know, may have edited to include the niece. But yeah. anyway, regardless of that, the author never really mentions Azula by name or Azula's character or anything about hers. It's all about Zuko. Yeah. So, for a specific reason. Now, Zuko and Katara hit it off pretty quickly. And from Zuko's end, it's mostly because she does not treat him like a prince. Because she's she has a get-out-of-social-conventions-free card. And... <laughs> you know, has no reason to in particular. And so she's like the only friend possibility he has for someone who will act like a peer. Mm-hmm. Their first introduction was actually pretty interesting. Yeah. Talk Forget about their it. first encounter. Well, um, it's talking about being a Zuko's birthday, I believe it was. Mm-hmm. And one of the presents Zuko got was a full <laughs> ornamental set of battle armor, <laughs> which he wore the whole day. Nobody told him not to. And But it said, right, the, is but that it, where you were going with that? 
that he, 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 like, nobody else would have done it, but he did because he was Zuko. Yeah. I, I yeah. like, I like that passage. Um, usually no child is required to spend a full day of ceremonies in a stifling cocoon of metal plating, not even a prince. However, Zuko is more than a prince. Zuko is Zuko. His army of attendants, painfully familiar with the force of the boy's tantrum, surrendered to his insistence without struggle. Let him wear it till it wears him out, they decide. What's the worst that could happen? He'll fall into the garden pond. Ha ha. Ha. It happens. And that's exactly what happens. (laughs) And and their meeting is of Katara rescuing him from the bottom of the pond, I'm guessing, and drawing the water out of his lungs. Mm Mm-hmm. Which is a very interesting place to put their um, relationship. Because, yeah. like, um, status-wise, a prince is higher than everything else, and she has absolutely no status. Right. Yes. But she but starts off by risking herself to save his life. So that adds some status? Well, she, she she's not without status. Mm-hmm. I, I think we should establish that everything and everyone has a status in this. And because she is Iroh's friend and, like, ward. kind of ward, ward yeah, yeah. In charge, she does have a significant amount of status. If she was just some captive girl, she mm-hmm. would have way lower social status than being, you know, Iroh's ward. So yeah. she's kind of free in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. And so that's, that starts their dynamic. Yeah. Yeah. And now we probably won't be able to keep discussing it chapter by chapter. Yeah. But that said, I want to discuss chapter four specifically. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> This is the first of several chapters or, you know, portions or whatever in this fanfic that is a list chapter. Dom, you did a little research into where this came from, right? Right. Um, If you're not familiar with what we're talking about, chapter four is a list of 50 items. And it would start number one, comfort, number two, kiss. And each one would be accompanied by a few sentence long. uh, I think they're all a single sentence. Okay. All a single sentence long of something happening, talking about the relationship between Katara and Iroh. So, for example, mm-hmm. uh, number one, comfort. After an evening in the company of his brother, Iroh is bone achingly eager to welcome the company of his blue eyed ward. And that's the whole vignette. That's that's everything. Yeah. Which one's potato? <laughs> potato. Uh, potatoes. Number five, potatoes. There it is. She buries them in the garden while Iroh smiles, but it's too soon to tell if it's a planting or a funeral. The one I liked personally was number 40, Innocence. Mm-hmm. Iroh does not think of her as a daughter, because if he had had a daughter, he would never let her learn what Katara knows. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Which was so one of those things that just kind of hit home. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Kind of very, oh. And then it goes on, and then the last one is number 50, Supernova. I forgive you, Iroh. Which is pretty powerful after you've seen all these little mm-hmm. one-sentence, you know, descriptions of their relationship. Oh, and, and, uh, here's the hair part. Yeah, number 49. Uh, when she tries doing it from memory, hands shaky, strands slip out and tangle until finally Katara gives up and lets the maid bind her braids in the proper Fire Nation style. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And these are all from um, a list on LiveJournal. It was a community of um, fan authors who would first pick a pairing, uh, claim that pairing, and then write a one-sentence vignette about each of these 50 things on this list. And they had various different lists with different themes. And this was the number one list, or the most used one, I think. Yeah, they call it the alpha set yeah. of themes. And, uh, yeah, this, this, this chapter in particular was very, very powerful with all the different vignettes, you know? Like, number 
46 son, come on guitar is too exhausted to worry and falls asleep under the comforting weight of Ira's hand on her hair. Number 47, Moon. Katara talks to the moon with her eyes silently, explaining what she doesn't want her guardian to hear. So the this was like super powerful. Yeah, it was a cool one. I didn't really mind that it had apparently two different chapter titles. <laughs> That's it. Patterns of Ink and Metal and Flowers in the Ashes. Well, they all have Powers they, of Ink. Patterns of Ink and Metal is the name of this first arc. I okay. Believe. Yeah. With um, with Katara in the Fire Nation and such. Uh, after they, after they the Lamb, I kind of glazed over any chapter titles. So. Yeah. yeah, they all have patterns of ink and metal, and it becomes kind of comes to fruition towards the end of the the fanfic, where they talk about the the ink and the metal. But we'll get to that. Yeah. So this is there's a couple chapters like this, and they do a lot of work in a lot of in a very short period of time, in kind of establishing relationships. Uh, implying the passage of time and the adjustment of Katara to the situation and all that kind of thing. And uh, from here on, let's see, what are the main events? Katara's waterbending emerges a little bit. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, Katara starts to waterbend, which was hinted back when um, Katara would bend some of the water out of Zuko's lungs. Right, but Zuko at least finds out about it She's and tries mm-hmm. to train her. Kind of off-screen at first. Yeah, and... You know, just in general in this fanfic, she does not get anywhere near as good at waterbending as she does in the canon because she has no one properly to teach her. The best that the best that Zuko and Iroh can do is kind of teach her some sort of breathing fundamentals and like... Mm-hmm. This actually doesn't mention how good of a waterbender she becomes. They just mention teaching her and trying to find a way yeah. that connects with the with guitar well she never does to... anything with precision, does she? Like, I, I don't remember any time in this fanfic where she does yeah. even like a water whip. But she doesn't but she doesn't not do a water whip. But no, no, she she doesn't use water bending anyway. They talk about training. She never is in a situation where she uses it. She uses it that one time in the storm. Yeah. And and we'll get there. I, yeah, I, mean, during the storm I guess she shows but... some chops there. It's true. Yeah. I, I was kind of assuming that. Yeah. Maybe they found some secret water bending scrolls that well, could potentially exist out there. They actually try to translate fire bending into water bending style. Right. 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 I guess they're trying to teach her, <laughs> and and they mention that it's not a perfect translation. Um, but Katara in the source material is an extremely talented waterbender. And a, a so natural, it seems too. Like, right. Yes, just a natural. So it seems like so in that's... this material as well, she is very natural at it. She is able to, um, you know, do a lot of things that you wouldn't think one would do without any real waterbending yeah, trainer she, she was around. able to do quite a bit by herself. Yeah, mm. now that you mention it, she's practically self-taught in canon also, isn't she? Um, not after season one. Well, not after season one, but yeah. I mean, like, in in the season one kind of yeah. time. Season one canon, yeah, she's completely self-taught. Mm-hmm. Uh, borrows the scrolls at some points, and... Could you imagine trying yeah. to learn a martial arts move off of a s- series of pictures, static pictures? It'd be very difficult. Try to guess the motion between the two, especially something like Tai Chi or waterbending. Yeah, where it, with waterbending, yeah, it is Tai Chi, so it's very fluid, and the big all thing about, about the Tai Chi, it's yeah. all about where the snap occurs. And unless the scroll is like, hey, snap here. <laughs> um, and if you know what that truly means, because the, the motion is kinesthetic. It's all about knowing uh, basically where to house your energy and how to unleash it at a certain specific point in time. I do feel like it, being taught that from images or words would be extremely difficult. Yeah. One of the best things I think about Avatar was just uh, showcasing Tai Chi as a combat martial art. Hmm. <laughs> Which it is. Yeah. But every day you ask Tai Chi, you're like, oh, you mean that exercise for old people? 
Well, it works like that also, but... <laughs> yeah. But we, it can also yeah. create huge ice barriers. I mean, you can use a stick as a walking stick, but... <laughs> yeah, people don't... I mean, because when you first start to practice Tai Chi, it's all about moving your energy. And you don't get to the real important parts of Tai Chi until you've been training for a number of years. Yeah. And that's, yeah, that's something I learned when what's, I did study it. What's your prefer- and it was fascinating. Perfect the different forms. One of my favorite things about Tai Chi is like if you stop a form in the middle, you have to stop and, and return the energy back to to the earth. Yeah. Or Which else would, what? Well, or, or else the you, you just like uncomfortable energy, you know? Oh, okay. Yeah, because you are you're drawing energy, you're drawing energy from everything yeah. around you, you and draw from, from your earth. own body, and then you channel it, and then it forms a ball over your head, and you throw it at Frieza. And then everyone puts their hands above their head. <laughs> <laughs> Gives their energy. This is true. But yeah, a lot of Tai Chi is also unleashing unleashing um, all the energy you build up through very fluid motion in a single tight snap. Mm-hmm. And that's why Tai Chi moves are so powerful. Why it was represented in Avatar as whips of water mm-hmm. yeah. at, a, at a distance. Because it is like that. Because yeah. of your kicks and your snaps, they do feel like a whip. And I feel like that was a really good representation and why I love Avatar. So if Qatar can learn Tai Chi from a static images, then learning from an actual bender of a different type is probably a little bit better. Yeah. Okay, so she learned some water bending. Yeah. And some time is spent in the fanfic kind of establishing Qatar and Zuko's relationship. They get into fights sometimes that are, you know, explosive, but mostly are, like, very emotionally close. Right. Especially Mm -hmm. for for Zuko, like, more so than anybody else. Yeah, this was definitely some Katara and Zuko shipping, which I have always felt was a little bit odd given the source material and people do ship them, but they created a new context in which it was somehow appropriate. So I guess there's... Kind of appropriate. They're also practically siblings. Well, no. I don't know about that. I don't know about that. Uh, I mean, okay. I would say the more complicated element is that Katara is like a captive. Well, yeah, yeah. that's the complicated part. I guess part. so. And I, Iroh mentions, like in that list that you mentioned specifically, doesn't think of her as a daughter. Mm-hmm. So I think it's safer to say ward. But later on, he describes them both as children who are his, if not in like... You know, sure. blood relation in terms of like emotional relationship. He's trying to I, raise both children, he's, but not I, as siblings. Yeah, I guess it's like you're right. He's he's a father figure to both of them, mm-hmm. but you're right. It's not like they're living in the same house or anything like that. No, no. Uh, there is that one scene where like eleven year old Zuko is like, "Send Katara over to me to be my like attendant or whatever," and then yeah. no one will be able to mess with her because she'll be yeah, she'll be the prince's friend. And right. and Iro's, Iro's like no I I'm not going to put her in a like uh, what's the word hierarchical position like underneath you or beside yeah. you or whatever. And in that discussion, Iro does make a joke about wanting to about Zuko wanting her to be in, in his harem, and like Zuko outright rejects that. Of course, yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. And when Iroh's, it's very protective of Katara and this entire thing. And it makes sense for Iroh's character, mm-hmm. you know, to see this girl that he's adopted, he's going to protect her no matter what. But yeah, Zuko is also protective, but he doesn't really, he's too young to understand what he can do to protect her, what is realistic in the situation. Mm-hmm. So they have a pretty interesting relationship, and it's kind of fun in a fiction where people try to um, pair the water and fire personalities together. Mm-hmm. It's a bit cliche, but if done mm-hmm. right, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and there is that kind of intimation of the fact that, like, Katara and Zuko almost got close towards the end of season one. Was that it? When they're in the cave? 
Season two. Season two. This okay. was way so before this that, was actually. before that. Okay. <laughs> so that's very strange too that the author would pick this pairing since they had like no real intimate interaction before yeah, this. Uh, but I know people shipped them, and I don't know if it was because it was like he seemed like a better age for her than Aang did. Because, you know, Katara yeah, does agreed. end up with Aang. And <laughs> people generally think, like, Aang is prepubescent and mm. Katara is a little more mature. And because of the whole, like, you know, boy-girl thing where it's like the boys are supposed to be older than the girls because I don't know why. Um, but I think was, yeah. season one Zutara shippers were focusing on the fact that it was fire and water and that was opposite energy and poetic. Yeah. And the one scene where... Uh, Zuko captures Katara and says, I'll say, I'll protect you from the pirates in like a sardonic, yeah. sarcastic manner, which people have twisted. People really liked Zuko in that first season. And I really struggle with people liking Zuko in the first season. He becomes likable by the end of the series. Like, he's fine by the end of the series. But in the first season, he's just like a brat. He's like a really annoying teenage yeah, boy. On purpose. Yeah. yeah. But and, Zuko became interesting yeah. in the um, Blue like, Spirit episode. Yeah. Yes. That had some dimension. and Some, yes. And at the end he's still of... still a bratty teenager, though. And at the end of season one, where he's trapped with the Avatar out in the ice flow, there was some character de- development there. Yeah. So there was yeah. something. Something. Not something to something. work off of. Yeah. Just like a Jess and Gilmore Girls kind of situation. I'll take your word for it. Yeah. <laughs> but Zutara Shippers game became... Much more annoying as it went on. (laughs) Yeah, it's just so weird. Like, anybody who ever had a crush on this bratty teenage boy is like, well, unless you're a 14 year old girl, I don't get this. But maybe (laughs) they were all 14 year old girls. So, we were all 14 year old girls once in some shipping type ways. It Um, did happen to all of us. We all liked the bad boy at one point in time, no matter how bad that boy was. Now, to finish up the kind of. Cap, Fire Nation Capital portion of this fanfic. Mm-hmm. Um, some other stuff. Captain Katara comes face to face with Captain Zhao at one point. Yeah. Which is what I was originally going to read for flowery language, but mm. we've gotten enough examples already, <laughs> I think. Uh, it's a subplot that nothing comes of in the end. Like, she remembers him, she knows his face, and she kind of internally and also sort of to him says she'll pay him back for it someday, but it doesn't happen in this story. Mm. Happens in the season three episode, Southern Raiders. <laughs> there to you a go. different character. To a different character. <laughs> um, in some metaphysical sense, maybe that was also Zhao. It, it wasn't, though. Man, hmm. You haven't seen all of Korra, but Zhao just p- p- uh, reappear again later. Really? Oh, yeah. Briefly. Oh, I should probably finish Korra, but not for that reason. <laughs> briefly in a strange way. It's, <laughs> it's a weird cameo. <laughs> yes. The climax of this part, this first arc of the story is the whole Zuko speaking up at a war council and getting challenged to a Agni Kai, is that what you call it? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And is, getting his face burned. Which is part, like, um, I forgot what language it was, but it was, like, some Southeast Asian language for fire, Agni, and the Japanese word for meeting, Kai, okay. as a fire meeting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. a fire duel. It's just, yeah. That it's basically just... plays out exactly as it does in canon. Yeah. Yes. He has Katara for support afterwards, but that doesn't stop him from swearing to go find the Avatar to well, regain his honor. Well, because he is Oh, that, that was a Zuko character development before in season one, where Ira yeah. related the story about Zuko's backstory. Zuko's backstory, okay. and that yeah. was It makes him a little more sympathetic. Yeah, and Zuko yeah. in that episode makes the decision not to chase the Avatar in order to keep the crew safe. Mm-hmm. Right. Now, speaking of decisions to chase the Avatar, or not chase the Avatar... 
Arc 2, homespun. Arc 1 was uh, patterns in metal and, what was it? Um, ink. Ink. Ink and metal. Ink and metal. Uh, arc 2 is called homespun, apparently. Drowning the Moon. Wait, Drowning the Moon? Drowning the Moon is the, the arc title. Homespun is oh. that first chapter, 12. Okay. What happens is that Katara goes along with Zuko and Iroh on the Avatar hunt. Right. And she's at this point, what, 13? He's 15? Is that older than they are? I think it's like 12, 12 and 14 or something. Yeah, something like that. And it makes sense that she would because, again, she has there's nowhere in society for her to be outside the context of Iroh and, and or Zuko. Yeah, right? and as Iroh's ward, she has no social cachet mm-hmm. outside of Iroh. Right. But it seems to suit her fine also to be away from the Fire Nation capital and going and doing, doing more interesting things and seeing the world. Yeah. Um, there's a lot of humorous stuff in these chapters where you were saying, Tori, she's portrayed as a very like mischievous anarchic, anarchic, and uh, how do you pronounce that word? Antarctic? And, and yes, <laughs> well, she is an Antarctic figure, in fact. Uh, no, yeah. I'm sorry. She's an Arctic figure. Yeah. Northern Water Tribe, right? It's, it's, Southern. Oh, she's Southern. Yeah. Okay, yeah. She's Southern Water Tribe. but Anarchic figure. <laughs> Where, like, yeah. she's undermining Zuko's authority on the ship all the time and, you know, entertaining herself and, they and go messing to, around. They go to every port and they say, okay, you stay here. And she goes, okay. Yeah. And then they always find, she always leaves. Right. Yeah. <laughs> There's a second list chapter, I believe. Which one? Um... Oh, no, I'm... It's the end. Well, there is one. There's the things Prince Zuko prohibits being done, said, or thought about ever again in order for certain individuals to remain on the ship. I missed But actually, I was thinking of the bonus chapter at the very end that the author didn't do initially that takes place during that time frame. Mm -hmm. And I was thinking of that list. Uh, The chapter 22 is called Intermission Number 2. I'm looking at number 14 on this list that takes place in this time period, music. Mm -hmm. Waltz to the beat of your own heart, it says. Katara had two choices. She could fear the soldiers around her and spend the evening hiding, or she could accept them and dance. And I think that's representative of some of her attitude aboard the ship. In a way, once she befriends the rest of the sailors, which she kind of does in short order, she has more freedom here than she ever did in the Fire Nation capital, where she was constrained by, like, you know, all the racism and not being able to really step out of line or, you know, engage with most of most people in public. And, like, it kind of shows her bond with the crew. Mm-hmm. And they have the chapter that talks about... Because, like, in this um, universal continuity, she uh, sleepwalks. Right. And she has been, she had been doing it back in the Fire Nation capital. And when they go out on the ship, she does it again. And it mentions that the entire crew uh, keeps an, a- an eye out for a Katara and uh, helps in, in yeah. any way they can. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she, like, sleepwalks because she has, like, these night terrors a lot of the time out of her trauma. And that's why she takes this. Um, I don't think I mentioned before, she says sleeping dra- draft. Oh, yeah, it becomes a plot point. The doctor really early on had prescribed her just some sleep medicine uh-huh. uh, that she continues to use when necessary throughout the rest of her life in this story. And one of the reasons also given for the crew uh, warming to her is that many of them have children that they've left behind. You know, they're in the Navy and, you know, they have to be away from their own families. And yeah. so she kind of is adopted in a sense as sort of like the ship's child 
<laughs> so that's not, not quite right, but like a, a sort of daughter figure to many of the crew. More than mascot. Right, not yeah. mascot. Yeah, she's, yeah, and she's mischievous in this, like we mentioned yeah. before. So like, she's fun, and she engages in a lot of like the music nights. She'll like gamble <laughs> with them. We mentioned... And, like have a lot of fun, and like just make things more fun than Zuko would make them. In the second list, there's some hints yeah. to that. Mm-hmm. We mentioned that second list of things that certain people are not allowed to do. Oh, Things Prince Zuko prohibits being done, said, or thought about ever again in order for certain individuals to remain on the ship. Mm-hmm. You want to read a couple of those for us, Dom? Um, let me take a look here. <laughs> what are some of the good ones? I like, no person on board has the authority to issue permission slips, and any individual <laughs> who presents one will have her ink supplies confiscated for a week. Number seven, Qatar is forbidden to share ideas unless a chaperone is present. Parentheses. Uncle Iroh doesn't count. <laughs> <laughs> and number... Um, what was it? Number eight, the proper response to an official order is not, oh, you're just saying that to sound important. (laughs) Oh, wait, number ten, only one person on board is allowed to wear a dress while on duty. She may not loan the dress to others no matter what sort of bet was made and won loss. Number sixteen, a lap dance is not a valid form of currency. (laughs) And certain crew members will stop exploiting their officers this way when bargaining at market. Parentheses. I don't care if she thinks it's an untapped economic resource. <laughs> <laughs> that was ridiculous. Like. Uh, number six. Music night is a privilege, not a, quote, rite of passage. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like a rite of passage to me. I don't know. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Karaoke. Mm-hmm. Then there's the um, things Qatar promises to not do, say, or think about ever again in order to remain on the ship, in parentheses, instead of being shipped back to the Fire Nation like a sack of cabbages. <laughs> now, it's pretty much the same kind of stuff mm-hmm. from the opposite direction. The other, the other things that are happening on the ship, besides this portrayal of Katara kind of enjoying her freedom, and it's just that... They're doing the chasing rumors of the Avatar around the world thing, and time passes. They spend like a whole year on this ship. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so they're growing older, and Iroh is like, ah, they're totally in love with each other. And he thinks, is there anything I should be doing about this? <laughs> but, you know, eventually he decides not to. Great. <laughs> 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 I, I mean, you know, I, Iroh wouldn't, because, like, well, what would he say? Yeah, it's not really his place. No, it's not. I mean, like, he... I think he supports them in mm-hmm. certain ways. Like, he's kind of a flow with, go-with-the-flow kind of person. Yeah. She's 14, Iroh tells himself. It will change. For now, let things be as they are. And those are all the main things that happen up until the kind of uh, multi-part climax of the story, I would say. Now, we discovered that Dom actually had a copy of the fanfic that stopped at about this point. My fault for trying to find it myself instead of waiting for our um, fanfiction bending lord to (laughs) appoint it beforehand. So you really messed I I sent the link pretty late. I I stopped at the chapter where they got drunk. Oh, dang. Yeah, you missed a lot. (laughs) I'm I'm reading as we're talking. (laughs) (laughs) So what, Shatori and I still just describe how it ends up concluding? Yes, go ahead. All right. So they're chasing rumors of the Avatar, and they head down to the... I said head up to the... I'm sorry, which water tribe is Katara from again? Southern. 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 Yeah, the, the northern ones are, are the dicks with the slightly more purple colors. Yeah, and the like actual mm-hmm. city made yeah, of ice. Yeah, and the actual city. <laughs> mm-hmm. They head to the Southern Water Tribe. They're looking for rumors there. And on the way, there is a storm. Um, like, it's a really bad storm. Katara is forced to 
reveal that she's a waterbender to the crew. There's not a whole lot of time for that to anything to come of that because she's mm-hmm. she's kind of muffling the waves hitting them over and over again, yes. you know, over a long period of time, Zuko kind of supporting her physically during it. Yes, and but, this was an important moment for, like, Zuko. He was, like, about to give her an order, and there's a wave that crashed, and then he's like, Katara, I order you to, like, take care of this because you're a waterbender, and I'm going to sit here and be your stabilization. Like, right. hold on to me. So it seemed like a kind of turning point for him. Like, it seemed like first he was going to order her below deck. Right. Actually, I think they specify later that at first he was going to order her below deck. But mm-hmm. then he's like, hold on to me and fix this. And she, like, goes for it, you know? And they make it safely to the ice. But I forget exactly how the physical things end up. She ends up, there ends up being an avalanche. Not avalanche. What's a snow avalanche? That's avalanche. An avalanche. An avalanche is a snow avalanche. Avalanche is a snow avalanche, yeah. What do you call it? If it's rocks. It's, it's also an avalanche. Landslide. Oh, landslide. Oh, really? Rock slide. Landslide. Rock slide. Oh. Okay. Rock avalanche. But there is an avalanche, and uh, she's buried and separated from from Zuko. And somehow, yeah, I I didn't quite. This was very unclear. I thought she fell into the water because of the avalanche, but she was on a ship, so like this is very confusing. Now, everyone thinks she's dead. Mm -hmm. I'm just gonna spoil it and say she's not dead. (gasps) I know, even though. When I went to look at the comments, like, the third comment down is like, how dare you kill Katara, my favorite character, in all caps. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, calm down. It's like, dude, the, you know, story structure, you know? Yeah. <laughs> Read the room. <laughs> <laughs> Story's not over yet. Yeah. It means that Zuko and the crew get to be very sad. Iroh also gets to be very sad. He tells Zuko, like, it'll pass, which is interesting because it, like, it, it'll, it kind of foreshadows that he has lost people important to him. Mm-hmm. even though the author There's should not have known yeah. about his son, and I don't uh, think it did. Also, the, there was another thing we mentioned that the author didn't know, which is the author tells a story about the moon at some point. The oh, um, Katara tells a story, story about the, the moon. moon. Before yeah. this happens, all of this happens, Katara tells Zuko a story about the moon, mm-hmm. and it definitely, t- it's like how the Avatar kind of um, intervened in a situation where the moon was in love with a king, mm-hmm. and turned the the moon's the moon's heart was shattered because it, she was separated from the king she loved and that turned into the stars but it's really funny because the author had not seen the season one finale yet so there was no like reference for this other than folklore they'd read yeah yeah but and they made that the clear. moon as a spirit was just something they they'd read in folklore read, yeah right. but uh, they somehow applied it to this particular story which is incredible it was cool like yeah, yeah. Uh, obviously the throughout the language and what they talk about this particular author is very is kind of versed in like I think Chinese poetry, they mentioned quite mm-hmm. a few references yeah. to it. Yeah. And like folklore. So they're able to kind of extrapolate a, um, um, a person in love with an inanimate object folklore story. Mm-hmm. Right. And into the moon, this moon story. Being one, a really important one. Yeah. But the fact they picked on a king being in love with the moon yeah. when that is, you know. It's kind of fun. <laughs> yeah. When that is the whole, you know, and story. Uh, of they make the an author's note. It's incredible. Specifying that this was before the season yes. one finale. Right. And the story is a little bit different, but it is a man in love with the moon, and that was it's reminiscent, cool. yeah, a very yeah. reminiscent, yeah. So Zuko and the crew head back north to repair the ship, and then they head back down to the Southern Water Tribe again. And it's been about two months, and they're they've basically mourned Katara, even though they haven't done the funeral, the Fire Nation funeral rite that you would do if you didn't have a body, right. which is burning their name mm. and letting which, like their spirit go up yes, in the air. Yes, which the author made up, as far as I can tell. That yeah, sounds right. 
Yeah. Is that you write their name on a slip of paper and you burn the slip of paper. But they haven't done that because Zuko, Zuko believes... Zuko refuses to. Yeah, Zuko refuses. He doesn't actually believe she's alive. He just doesn't want to do the He doesn't want to accept. <laughs> right. He's, what, like, 15 or 16? He's like, I can't. Yeah, his honor won't let him. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but they head back down to the Southern Water Tribe, and he, he goes and he's trying to bully Avatar information out of a tribe. And the tribe are the remnants of Katara's tribe. Which is that season one, episode one. Right. Yeah, right. And so, you know, Sokka comes up and challenges him and is not a whole lot of a match for him. And, you know, Zuko is... Well, it actually parallels completely what happens. Is that exactly what happens? That's exactly yeah. what happens. He, okay. like, Sokka, like, comes up when the drawbridge comes down and he's, like, thrown back and then he throws his boomerang. But, like, it's really funny because when the boomerang comes back, it hits Zuko in the head. You know, if you all have seen season one, episode one, it's funny. Right. But actually, when I, when I rewatch, like, the Avatar, I tend to skip, like, half of season one and start in the middle. See, I just don't recommend that. I, but I know you do, and like, that's fine. Like, sorry, why is it, it? It's not recommended. But like, I, I know the story, mm-hmm. and this. I don't think the episodes really get good until like, uh, in the middle. Like, uh, the, the the jet episode is definitely a good episode. <sighs> but that's like the only good one in that whole. I agree to disagree because I like <laughs> it from start to finish, and I like the exposition. Maybe that's just because I think getting to know the characters every time you rewatch is like kind of like a sweet sort of moment. But. The fun thing about Avatar, though, is that there's lots of episodes where you get to know oh, the, char- sure, learn the sure. characters. Yeah. This is true. And that is what is really good about Avatar. And actually, what's great about this fic is that they stayed true to the character-driven elements of the plot. In fact, this was almost entirely a character-driven story. Oh, They're, yeah. Like, bending is not super important, even. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Which is amazing for a, the Avatar Last Airbender story. Yeah. I'm still angry about having to say the whole name. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this episode one action is interrupted because, lo and behold, who shows up but Katara? And Zuko's like, what? This is super amazing. Mm -hmm. And, you know, Sokka's protective of her. He says, get get away from her. But she says, shut up, Sokka. She tells Zuko, the Avatar's not here. And she says she's going back with him. Mm -hmm. And her explanation to him shortly after is that she went back to the tribe, but... No one wanted to really talk about, you know, the raid earlier. Everyone kind of wanted to just pretend like nothing had happened. Mm-hmm. And she's, like, culturally so divorced from them now right. that it, like, felt super weird and just, like, things can't go back to the way they were. I was now, kind of expecting, like, a, um, a, a Sacagawea moment. Well, I, I think you don't see inside her head in this whole thing. But I think she's telling the truth about that. But she's also... Her motive in going with Zuko is to lead him away from the Avatar because she found Aang yes. in the ice. Oh. Yes, and, so yeah. and so like she and Sokka know about him. Uh, she had hooked back up with him, and she's going back with Zuko to be like, the Avatar's not here. Turn around. We're going that way. So this is like the whole interesting part of the fic. Like <laughs> yeah, so it's, far, it's re- relationship building between Katara and Zuko, and a little bit with Iroh. But it's like I never <laughs> shipped Katara and Zuko, <laughs> and like knowing the author only saw the first season, it's like what mm-hmm. this is where it becomes a little bit interesting because it's like it kind of parallels the start, and you realize that yeah, Katara and Sokka actually did find Aang in the ice, just yep. in this kind of interlude where Katara was rescued or found by her old tribe. Yeah, she, well, she must, she must have... I think the implication is that the ice that she was buried in had Aang, and she, like, managed yeah, maybe, to bend him yeah. out, and, like, he saved so, them, maybe, and anyway, got them back to her tribe. Anyway, almost exactly the same that, at the same time. That's implied, but not said? I don't implied. remember it being said, because it's you don't... It's not said. It's not hmm. said. Um, what happens is that we don't know that Aang's there at the time that they leave the village, but Katara's like, to Zuko, I don't belong here 
I don't really belong with your people, but I just don't belong here anymore, so I've got to go. Mm-hmm. And it, it, so they go. Zuko actually does hear her say to Sokka, take care of Aang, be careful, like yes. when she leaves. Yes. He's like, who's Aang? And she says he's a, a young friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Like a young, like, innocent friend who needs to be taken care of. Thing. And Zuko's like, yeah, there were a lot of kids in that tribe. Yeah, <laughs> he, he, he yeah whatever. He has no suspicions. It doesn't mm-hmm. matter that's not a, not a water tribe name. <laughs> <laughs> no. Doesn't seem to matter. Well, oh, right. When did Zuko learn about water tribe nomenclature? Yeah, right. exactly. <laughs> and so then there's a chapter back on the ship. And Isn't she makes basically him... Basically last chapter? Second to last, I Second believe. to last, okay. She makes him promise that he will not hurt her tribe. And he's like, well, of course I won't. Like, how can you suspect that of me? And she's like, I know you won't. I just need to hear you say it. Mm-hmm. And there's kind of this whole chapter, this is chapter um, 20, mm-hmm. of... Basically, they kind of confess love to each other. Yes. Mm. But she also has a bit of a breakdown where she tells him, look, no matter what happens from here out, like, know that I I care about you. Like, no matter what I do, mm. even if, like, I have to do something that, like, seems terrible, it's not because, like, I don't love you or want to be with you. I, I'm paraphrasing. And Zuko probably should be asking some more questions here, but he's not. He's like, right, yeah. yes. Certainly. That's kind of a fun, like, water character development thing. It's the saying, like, to love somebody but still do something weird or, or terrible. Because, mm-hmm. mm-hmm. like, in Battlestar Galactica, they have, like, the um, 12 planets that kind of parallel the, uh, the zodiac signs. And towards the end of Battlestar Galactica, there's one person who was from Pycon, who was mm-hmm. the, the Pisces planet. Who does this whole thing where they dress up nice and like after something tragic has happened, they like dress up nice, go on a nice date, and then at the end they, they end up like killing themselves. Mm. Mm. So it's sort of like a um, yeah, a loving somebody, divorced from what they have to do to them or just in yeah. general. Yeah, yeah, and then this is one of those things where it feels like a, a Katara's goodbye to Zuko because. He doesn't know anything that she is about to do, but she spends part of the night with him. She kisses him, doesn't she? Yeah, she does. Yeah, and then the they, author, the author noted at the end of that chapter. I, yeah. I'm looking at a phrase from the chapter that just says, he kisses her. The author yeah. noted at the end of the chapter says, much credit for this chapter goes to a murder of crows who attacked me with good intentions and mental torture until I gave in and had our unlikely duo kiss. <laughs> she also then, punched me a lot. In the air. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's kind of funny. But so they kissed, and Katara decides to stay the night, but right. does not indeed stay the whole night. So you go no. wakes up and realizes she's missing. I now, believe that's at the beginning of the next chapter. That's the beginning but, of the next chapter. Mm-hmm. I was surprised because I thought the point. I thought she was going to go with Zuko to lead him away from the Avatar. Mm-hmm. But in fact, in the middle of the night, she drugs yes, the rest of the crew with her sleeping strange. potion. With her but not draft. Zuka. But not Zuko. <laughs> Excuse me. And like she had, she has access to the run of the ship, and she has like a whole stock of sleep medicine. So like she, it was easy to poison like all yeah, the because this is the sleep medicine supplies. she's been receiving for her nightmares. So right, she's mm-hmm. got it. And so I big plot point that she she has a sleeping draught. Yes, it's it's a yeah. Chekhov's sleeping yeah. draught, mm. and. The I guess she only just came back to get some closure with Zuko, because she turns right back around and joins Sokka, and Zuko, uh, what's that? Okay, well no, go on. We'll yeah, get to this. Isn't that right? Zuko wakes up and like everyone else is asleep and he's like, uh, yes. okay, what's what's but happened? What's Katara they're doing? They're on the ship, and they're... so is Aang. Is Aang on the ship? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
So that's the confusing part. It's like, was she trying to smuggle Aang on the very ship of the person who was trying to capture him? This is the part that confuses me. No, it's it's off of the ship. Is Ice it? blocks the deck's exit. Zuko blazes it open, passing through water and steam into the pre-dawn oh, light outside. Okay. She is a small, bold mark against the horizon. See, it was a very small part that I actually I, lis- I actually listened to this chapter twice and, and missed that both times. I so. feel like the... Okay. If I need so to identify a to, weakness in yeah. the writer's writing, spatial positioning, mm-hmm. when it comes up, is actually kind really, of hard to yeah, follow. Yeah. Really the biggest <laughs> weakness, because, yeah, I, I definitely read this through a couple times just to try to figure out what had actually happened. Yeah, strong in emotional positioning, but spatial positioning, no. <laughs> yeah, I mean, their writing is beautiful. Right. But yes, okay, good point. So what happens is they're still docked. Let me clarify this. They're still... Mm-hmm. I thought they'd sailed away and Aang was on the ship for but some I guess reason. No. no, they're still docked overnight. Katara spends part of the night with Zuko, drugs everyone except Zuko, and then she was, walls the ship off with away. ice and slips away. But Zuko wakes up in Zuko time wakes to up. confront her. Yes. And, you know, Aang's there, and Aang... I like Aang's... The description of Aang. Um, Just some kid. (laughs) Well, right. He sees the boy, you know, all that. Physical description. Um, The only blue he has is the arrow painted down his bald head. Zuko's blood quickens, heating at the sight of that tattoo and the long wooden staff in the boy's hand. There's no fear in the youngster's face, no alarm in the innocent gray gaze inspecting Zuko. There's nothing to indicate recognition or forewarning. Who's he, Katara? The child asks. And it's like, we only get a few lines out of Aang, but it's it's a good description of Aang. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I appreciated it. Yeah, it was good. Uh, curious and not, not that scared. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah. You know, the, the assurance of somebody who is very, very, very good at dodging attacks and also thinks well of people. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> and a, a competent optimist. Right. Yeah. Yeah, whereas I think Katara's characterization was strangely different, though we explained why that might be justified. Aang's was spot on. Zuko's was spot on. Yeah. yeah. Um, but Katara gets to try to talk Zuko out of all this. And it's a pretty passionate speech. He, obviously, he's like, get out of the way. I need to get the Avatar. It's got my honor. I'm not going to do it. And, of course, she refuses to stand aside. And, yeah. Katara's whole thing is, like, don't you understand? Like, he's just a child. He wasn't hiding. He was lost, is something mm-hmm. she says. Like, this whole time, like, we thought he was something different. And she thinks that's going to sway Zuka. Yeah. She truly, like, has this sort of... I mean, she probably didn't have a full belief because she did try to sneak away in the night. But when she's giving that speech, she's like, please, like, you have to understand. And Zuko does not. And, and I, that's very in line with what happens in the series. He realizes what Aang is, and he still cannot stop himself. And as I'm reading the chapter here for the first time, there's mm-hmm. lines like, um, Zuko saying, step aside. It ends with him, Katara. It ends now. I can go home. Things will, will return to normal. Katara says, things will never return to normal. Yeah, that's a good speech on Katara's part that yeah. happens after that. Yeah. Shall but we read it? Zuko's not ready to <laughs> Go for it, yeah. Yeah, go I'm on. excited. <laughs> right, uh, Zuko says, things will return to normal. We can, we've been doing this for two years. We can finally like, go home after this. Things will never return to normal. Gone is the unsteadiness of her earlier expression. In its place is rage and searing conviction. Home is gone. It vanished the day a father condemned his loyal son for speaking the truth nobody else would. Everything that's happened, to you, to me, to the whole damn world, nothing anyone does will change that. You're right, it has to end, and now, oh, don't you see, Zuko, now it can. The Avatar can restore the balance. 
I believe that, <laughs> that Aang is the Avatar. Well, I what, believe what, Aang like? can save the world. I believe yes. Aang can save the world. Anyway, <laughs> the Avatar can restore the balance. He can bring back the way things used to be, the way they should be. The steel in her voice cracks, revealing the desperation beneath. He's the only one who can do it, Zuko. The only one who can stop the terrible things being done. Tell me what'll happen if you put him in chains and bring him to the Fire Lord. Tell me it'll stop the killings. Tell me it'll mean no more mothers crying over undue graves. Tell me no more houses will burn in the night. Tell me no more children will scream. Tell me the snow will never be red or black again. Tell me no more soldiers will surrender their lives to a heartless plan they don't even know about. Tell me the war will end in this lifetime. Tell me. Zuko cannot. For as long as he lives, Zuko knows he will remember this. The muted hush of the ocean, the cold grays of the air on his skin, the passion and pleading in the face he knows best, the gray-eyed child almost within reach, the throbbing helplessness in his chest, the nearly imperceptible sway of the ship, the girl standing between him and the Avatar, his most surprising ally, his favorite kind-eyed kind -eyed riddle, his best friend. Katara, Zuko says, get out of my way. Then he gets hit in the back of the head with a boomerang. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> they find him a few hours later, sprawled on the deck with a bruise on the back of his head. Apparently, the clumsy backwater peasant's aim is better the second time around. <laughs> Zuko is unsure whether it was luck or mercy or ineptitude that kept the blow from doing more damage than it did. Anyway, that's, that's basically the end of the fanfic, yes. which things coming full circle and kind of starting at something similar to square one yeah uh, yeah. recontextualized season one episode one right yeah yeah like it could proceed similarly from there it totally could it's just (laughs) that zuko and katara would have a completely different relationship and katara would have a lot more breadth of knowledge about the outside world she's been sailing around it for two years and had a like first class fire nation education yeah she'd probably know what what uh, cities would and would not take Water Tribe money. And they probably wouldn't even have Water Tribe money, but Fire Tribe money. <laughs> she would know to avoid Water that nation. big chasm. So should we mention it all? We this all should thing? take that same advice. <laughs> 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 so really, it, it's a happy continuity. This is the better, the better world, right? Sure, right? Yeah, things would have gone a lot quicker. <laughs> I'm wondering, though, if we should mention it all that last chapter, even though it's not really a chapter. The um, What was the last chapter? Yeah. It was another intermission type thing. I oh, was confused I, about the I mentioned that. that. It's just something yeah, that the did, author did but... not post initially, but it was uh, another list okay. chapter that went back in the ship years. Oh, and sure, sure. And that's and the one I was reading a little yeah. bit from earlier. And, and I don't know if we need to say much more about that. No, but that I was, think it's fine. They put it at the end, which felt the only thing I wanted to say is it felt confusing to me because I thought maybe that it was supposed to go on after this. There was another note that. saying that one chapter should have taken place someplace else, which I. Ah, which so I think, that's what it was supposed to be. So I think that th- this author just doesn't, um, like, makes mistakes in chapter order and just doesn't fix it. Yeah. Ah, uh, I see. And I think that, that other one that they mentioned, I wouldn't have noticed if they hadn't pointed it out. Yeah. Like, it's yeah. not It's not like this last chapter, which yeah. clearly is in it's the middle. It's clearly in the middle. And then I thought it was supposed to be, like, a flashback to previous, which, but, like, leading into something else. That was confusing. But it was just meant to be placed earlier. So that's the thing. It's about time to wrap this up. Is there anything that we need to complain about and get off our chests about this fanfic? For me, one of the biggest complaints, besides missing the last part, <laughs> is just the um, the Zutara aspect, uh, the Zuko Katara pairing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> just as someone who was in the fan fan community for a, for for a bit, like a, a like a thread would be going well, and then like 
someone would mention Zuko and Katara, then the Zutarans would come in, then the thread would end. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm kind of like just conditionally adverse to the to the pairing in general. Mm-hmm. And and um and beyond that, I'm kind of um not into the stereotypical fire and water pairing. It's very yeah, you see it a lot like opposite like she's hot headed he's cool and collected and like people like to pair those two together and i'm bored of it honestly (laughs) yeah my criticism actually falls under the same umbrella and it's like literally actually very hard to find criticism for this fic because i actually thought it was really well written it was character driven i did find that it lulled a little bit like i did feel i was kind of pandering to zico and katara as a couple and i have no interest in that and I agree with Dom because it's just like, it's like the, almost like the, yeah, the fire water, but like the bad boy, good girl thing, or like she's supposed to change him and make him better. And that has always distressed me, like where it's like so romantic because he's so troubled and dark and her like whimsical. Yeah, there's a little bit of the manic pixie dream girl. Exactly. That's just what I was about to say. Like, ugh. And also, like, um, I liked this fanfic and the formatting, but. I was able to miss the last chunk of it because the format of this is pretty whimsical and non-linear, non, yeah. non, non-narrative. So I, I was able to believe that any particular chapter was the last chapter because I didn't really see an overarching story. Mm-hmm. My That was going to be my complaint, is that the structure is too loose. Like Something like that scene early on where she confronts Captain Zhao and is like, oh, don't worry, I'll, I'll pay you back for your hospitality someday. Mm-hmm made me eager to see what was going to come of that plot thread, and the answer mm-hmm. was absolutely nothing. Yeah, It, this is it needed another editing pass because the author was writing it one piece at a time and sort of building this continuity organically, it seems like. Mm-hmm. But the end result is not... Sometimes... I mean, it's basically a story, I guess, but the shape of it could definitely be tightened. Yes, yeah. I think it could have had more plot threads than just the Zuko and Katara character playoff. From yeah, like Iroh sort of um, falls out of the fanfic later on mm-hmm. to a large extent. Which is kind of a pity, because it was mostly just about Iroh's relationship with Katara. That was the emotional heart of it for the yeah, first like third. Yeah, Iroh's like my favorite character in, right. in Avatar, so... And, and I, I call it Avatar, okay, so... We, we know what you talk about in this context, yeah. I call it Avatar no matter what, and I don't care what anybody else thought. But <laughs> okay. is my favorite character, so it was difficult to see, like, how important he was in the beginning and then see, like, Zico replace him. Like, Zico's fine, whatever, but... But he's no Iroh. He's no, no Iroh. <laughs> this is true. I just want to mention on the... As a um, Discworld fan, I didn't notice the um, Discworld reference in Chapter 15 until the author's note mentioned it. I went back and I found the phrase that would be the Discworld reference and looked it up. Oh, I remembered it. Oh, you did? Yeah, because mm. it's from the Witch's books, and I read those ones the most. Yeah, th- mm. those are great books, but I, I read the whole thing, like, all at once. So right. It's all kind of a blur to me. <laughs> the reference is the the song about the st- about a staff with a knob at the end, which mm. is one of N- Nanny Og's favorite songs. Oh, that's right. <laughs> yeah, there was some crude humor in this. It was surprising. Like, kind of caught me... Kind of blindsided me a couple times. I was they were talking about very explicitly like lap dances. Yeah, that kind of came out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah, it was a little bit awkward with Katara being like twelve to fourteen she years was like old 14 for most then. of yeah, it. Yeah. For sure. Now, all that said, I think we have a lot to praise as well. Mm-hmm. I would de- I would definitely uh, recommend this as a reading experience. Yeah, yes. it was very fun to read. It uh, reminded me a bit of 
how I felt when I read uh, Great Aspie, kind of. Mm. Like, this, there wasn't a lot of a story, but the experience of the words and, like, the um, poetic and, like, almost magical situations they set up was uh, really drew me in. Mm. I don't think it's a fair comparison, but it's the only one I have, I think. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a fair comparison. This is no. far better than The Great Gatsby, right? <laughs> well, it's based off of something more more interesting. Great, Great Gatsby <laughs> was just based off the, the, the time period, and this is based off Avatar The Last Airbender. So. There you go. Yeah. <laughs> okay. New assignment for our listeners. Rewrite The Great Gatsby set in the Avatar The Last Airbender world. <laughs> well, it'd probably be me in the Korra world. Yeah, you're right. It definitely would be. Definitely would oh, be. Oh, with yeah, Nouveau Riche. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like exactly the same time frame. <laughs> And driving some of those cabbage core cars, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I thought it was very, very entertaining to read. And I don't mean, I mean, because of the quality of the writing, because the content was generally interesting, and because of the variety in the writing as well. This is about 34,000 words, which is fairly short as things we read go. Mm-hmm. But there was a lot of enjoyable reading in there. Yeah, I, I've run into fanfic writers doing things like those list challenges online before. And they never have any interest in to me. And it's like, like I don't I don't care about you know little aspects of like a shipping or whatever. Mm-hmm. But when you insert those in the middle of a longer narrative, I really like it because mm-hmm. it gets so much done so efficiently yes. and so interestingly. Well, you know the reason I like these lists is it was like I don't know it was like my one of my favorite books that I own is a collection of poems of Arab Andalusia from like you know 900 to 1200 mm-hmm. and it's all of these poems that are just like I guess you could call it like pre-imagism like before you know HD or like uh, Ezra Pound did their thing like in the station at the metro it was like just impressions of like this is a party where there's wine and there's music and it's it just like ideas of like her brown hair and these images and these images come through in this like her body sinks her chest locks everything hurts but there's still there's a moment one single flaming moment when the fear in her lungs is overshadowed by the shape of his name in her throat sounds like you know a 10th century Andalusian poem like <laughs> it's 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 it has that conciseness and yet that meaning and I thought the author was pretty brilliant in doing that I, I kind of wonder about this author who is this person that loves like ancient Chinese poems and writes kind of concisely but poetically and still draws in nature to the it's yeah. pretty interesting yeah. yeah the use of meter is really incredible because that's a lot of the emphasis that comes out in those short sentences that have so much meaning so yeah really like a lot of poetic and knowledge. like i think i was surprised in the first list that each sentence was only one sentence because there was so much content content packed in each one yeah everyone mm-hmm. feels like it was multiple sentences but they're all just one and some of them did have like a you know a lot of commas and stuff but still the occasional <laughs> semicolon yeah yeah, yeah. well they took maybe some inspiration from probably the Chinese poetry they were influenced by. Yeah. Or yeah. Proust. Who uh, knows? They, they even um, contribute guitar with writing some Chinese poetry at some point. Right. <laughs> <laughs> and so, Dom, you were saying this might be your favorite fanfic that we've read, and that was before you found out it actually had an ending. <laughs> actually, oh, actually had a story in it. Right. <laughs> yeah. Um, I've been trying to think over some of the stuff I've read. I've read some good stuff, but this has been one of my favorites, I think. It, not just because of the of the uh, the fandom it's based off of, which is one of my favorite, but like the writing style, 
is kind of weird and poetic and spiritual, which uh, appeals to me. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm glad that you two enjoyed me choosing a fandom that you both distinctly love. Yeah, thank I'm you going to that. continue yeah. my mm-hmm. streak of blatant pandering by next week choosing a Gundam Wing fanfic. And this was actually the only fan request we've had so far to choose <laughs> to do a fanfic from the Gundam Wing fandom. The particular one's going to be Anna Texas. It's a, a fic that was written in 2000 and possibly slightly beyond by Alex yeah e c i n z i don't know e c i n wait what yeah <laughs> why not why not want to go one more time <laughs> it was definitely written by somebody on the internet okay <laughs> also I, I like our response time we, we got a fan email like what a, a, two months ago several a, months ago yes. recording <laughs> hey, we've been busy yeah, I didn't say it was high priority. <laughs> no, Besides, our fans are our highest priority. It's just that we're very busy. <laughs> I needed time to actually read and watch any amount of Gundam Wing whatsoever. And also we're, we're a large a bureaucratic organization that takes a long time to adjust to any uh, rapid change. <laughs> exactly. Upper management had to put in the... We had to put in the proper forms. Yeah, we management. had to put in... The, the, and then we had to wait like three to four business days, which didn't include weekends and holidays. And then six to eight <laughs> weeks for the actual like, yeah. packet of information to come through that told us which fanfic to read. Yeah, I mean, we, we could have seen the Earth King in that time, six to eight weeks. Mm-hmm. We need to license the fanfic and get all that legally sorted out. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to be counting on Tori. For this one, because Tori, you were the one who was into Gundam Wing I back really, in the day. I really, really was. <laughs> At the ripe age of maybe 12, 13, 14, but, you that know. That sounds pretty average for Gundam Wing, I think. That yeah, sounds right for you. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, I'm 29 now, so we'll see how it goes. I'm sure it'll all come back to you. Mm. In the meantime, this was episode 21 of Retro Fanfic Retrospective, Tempest in a Cup by aka vertigo the link there is bit.ly slash rfr tempest oh uh and backing up a moment mm-hmm. next week's fanfic anna texas you can find at bit.ly slash rfr wing mm-hmm. i'm not going to make you try to spell anna texas if you are looking for it <laughs> <laughs> you're not, not quite that cruel <laughs> the intro song for the podcast is the weekly fair off of the album Popey's incredible adventure by komiku the outro song is Run Against the Universe from the same album. You can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. You can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. You can also find us on Twitter at retrofanfic. If you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can contact us by those means. Send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com or especially leave reviews on whatever site you use to listen to this podcast. <laughs> I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Dom. We are just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other. Three Earthbenders just trying to be nice to each other. <laughs> this is Apparently. true. Apparently. <laughs> but it can't all be astrological signs. It's not like all Earthbenders no, were born in like the same months of the year. There's actually one, one it's episode. what you feel in your heart. There's actually one episode where they have twins, where one says, I'm an Earthbender, and the other one says, I'm not. So right. it's not by birth directly. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Plus, like in Korra, um, wait, hold on. No, that doesn't make sense. No, in season three of Korra. Yeah, the twins, yeah. Yeah, well, in se- yeah. Se- season three of Korra, they, they have the um, the person from the Earthbender family that becomes an airbender. Right, yeah.
Yeah. But that was, like, different circumstances. This might be all after the credits. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever. No, it's all very important. I also just wanted to say I saw, like, Cat run by, like, three times. I don't know if you saw her. Oh, oh there she goes. There it goes. Amato, yeah. look, cat. I saw a tail. Okay, so you know the cat exists now. And I'm Dom. <laughs> <laughs> Until next time, take care. Bye. We'll see you later. Auto, I'm Tori, I'm Does it matter? I don't know. If, if you'd like to, I'd go with you. It doesn't you. matter. I just wanted Amato to see the cat so bad. <laughs> <laughs> she's run by like three times and Amato hasn't been convinced that she exists yet. <laughs> I, I saw her tonight.